We are so thankful to have such a great worship team here at Lakes Free, and uh, what a terrific blessing it is to be able to, even as we're uh, dispersed throughout our communities, to come together and worship the Lord, even if it's just uh, joining them as they're singing, listening to the lyrics and the and the powerful words and the beauty of those songs, or joining with them in our own living rooms or family rooms, singing along with the team. Uh, what a joy it is to worship the Lord. Paul tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And friends, we're going to continue to rejoice Jesus as long as we have breath in our lungs. Well, friends, I want to just again welcome you this morning to Lakes Free Church, to our online worship service. If you're joining us late this morning, my name is Jason Carlson. I'm the senior pastor here at Lakes Free Church, and I want to welcome you today to our online worship. I know we've had people from uh, our community have been who have been tuning in uh, each week, uh, people who maybe don't normally attend our worship services, and we want to welcome you. We're so glad you've joined us. Uh, we've been tracking our, our viewership over recent weeks, and we've actually had people all over the world and around the country that have been tuning into our worship services. And so it's just such a joy to see the way God is getting the message out, uh, not only here locally, but literally all over the world. So uh, would you join me and just let's just pray, not only for our sermon this morning, but for all those who are tuning in, uh, that their hearts would be blessed and touched uh, by what they hear as we get into God's word once again. We're going to be continuing our series in the book of Revelation this morning, Church at Risk, looking at Jesus' letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor found in Revelations 1 through 3. And today we're going to be looking at Jesus' fifth letter, his letter to the church in Sardis. I want to invite you to join me in a word of prayer, and then I'm going to jump in and take a look at our text this morning. Let's ask God's blessing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to worship you today. Thank you so much for our worship team and our tech team and just that terrific worship they brought us this morning. Thank you for ushering us into your presence and allowing us to just put aside some of the cares of the world and, and the concerns in our lives for a few minutes and just come and focus on you. We praise your name, Jesus. We thank you for who you are and for your many blessings in our lives. And now, Lord, as we turn to your word this morning, we pray that you would once again open our eyes to your revealed truth. God, inspire us with a, a fresh glimpse of who you are and what you call us to as your people. I pray, God, that we would have open hearts to hear from you this morning. Lord, speak through me and the message I've prepared to, to help us better understand your letter to the church in Sardis. Give me wisdom, Lord. Give my friends open hearts and minds. And Lord, we want to hear from you today. Humble our hearts before you now as we go to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, ever since I was a little kid, I have always had a fascination with lighthouses. How many of you out there like lighthouses? I remember probably my earliest memory of a lighthouse was probably like many of you going up north on the North Shore here in Minnesota and seeing the famous Split Rock Lighthouse. I mean, there is something just incredible and majestic and romantic about lighthouses. You, you think of why they're there, these beacons of hope, shining brightly, uh, a signal of warning, uh, a, a, a signal of safety to sailors passing by. And uh, lighthouses have always had a special fascination for me. Wherever I travel around the world, it's, it's always interesting to go and see some of the lighthouses that you can find. 
One of my personal favorite lighthouses anywhere in the world. In fact, I would argue it might be the coolest lighthouse anywhere. It's found on the northwest coast of the United States, off the coast of Oregon. It's a lighthouse called the Tillamook Rock Lighthouse, more notoriously known as Terrible Tilly. This lighthouse sits a mile offshore in the Pacific Ocean off of Cannon Beach, Oregon. And it's an incredible lighthouse built on this tiny basalt rock out a mile offshore. Terrible Tilly was built in the late 1800s, and it earned its name with a very notorious background. Terrible Tilly took over two years to construct, and as you can imagine, in the harsh conditions of the Pacific Northwest, it was a difficult undertaking to build this lighthouse. In fact, many men died in the process of building Terrible Tilly. Ships were wrecked as they brought supplies trying to uh, bring the equipment needed to build this lighthouse. Terrible Tilly, once it got up and running in the late 1800s, it was such a difficult place for a lighthouse keeper to work that they actually had a schedule where they would work for four weeks and then be off for three. It was so physically and mentally taxing on those lighthouse keepers. Terrible Tilly stood boldly as a beacon of hope and safety for over 77 years until it was finally decommissioned. And now this once great lighthouse stands only as a monument to its past glory. Today it's just a relic of what it once was. It's a, it's a relic for tourists to take pictures of from shore. And you know, friends, as I was thinking about this lighthouse this past week, it, it crossed my mind that this is the sad reality that we see facing many churches in our world today. You know, just like Terrible Tilly, that, that once great lighthouse that, that stood boldly, shining brightly as a beacon of hope. There are many churches in our world today that in the same way had glorious pasts, had vibrant pasts, pasts where they shone brightly the message of the gospel. They, they declared a, a word of safety and refuge and hope to a lost and dying world. But today... Their lights have grown dim. They're nothing more than monuments to a once vibrant and faithful past. How sad it is, friends. And you know, this was the situation that we're going to see in our passage this morning. This was the situation facing the church that Jesus addresses in his fifth letter to the churches in Asia Minor, what is today modern-day Turkey. This was the situation facing the church in Sardis. A once vibrant church, a once healthy, alive church that had carried out terrific gospel ministry in its community. But sadly, this church's light had grown dim. Friends, this morning's passage is very important for us to pay close attention to because this is a risk, the risk of losing our vitality as God's people. This is a risk that we too face today if we're not careful, and if we don't heed the counsel of God's word. So this morning we're going to look at what Jesus has to say to the church in Sardis. And we're going to allow his words to speak to us in our situation today, in our circumstances, so that we might not fall to the risk of losing our vitality as God's people. Our passage this morning is found in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. 
Let me read our passage this morning, and then I want to come back, and I want to highlight three keys here in this passage that we see today. Jesus says to the church in Sardis, starting in verse 1 of chapter 3, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Friends, this is such an important letter for us to study this morning and to allow the Lord to speak to us in the very same way that he spoke to his church in Sardis 2,000 years ago. In Jesus' letter to the church in Sardis, the, the first thing we notice here in this letter is we find a church resting on its reputation. We find a church resting on its reputation. A once great church that Jesus now says was dead. They had begun to rest on the reputation that they had earned in their days of former vibrancy and vitality and service to the Lord. Sardis is a community that's found basically right in central Asia Minor, what is today modern-day Turkey. Sardis is one of the oldest cities in Asia Minor. It was a, a famous, historic, glorious city that dated back to 1200 B.C. Over the years, it had served as a capital city in Asia Minor. It, it was a famous city for its wealth and its influence. It, it was especially famous because it was a fortress city, an acropolis, a fortress city built high on a mountaintop, surrounded on three sides by steep cliff walls, an almost impenetrable city, safe from attack. And because of this, it was a very wealthy and influential center of trade. In fact, silver and gold coins were first minted there in Sardis. This, this city was also famous for its necropolis, uh, on a hillside just across from the Acropolis, the fortress city of Sardis, there was a necropolis, a, a burial ground with thousands of graves that could be seen for miles away. Many of these graves belonged to once dead and to, 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 to dead and once famous kings who had ruled there in Asia Minor. And for all of these reasons, Sardis had a great reputation, a historical reputation for being a great and glorious city. But friends, Sardis was a city in the late 90s AD, the time that Jesus was writing to them through the Apostle John. Sardis was a city at this time that was living off its former glory. 
Sardis was a city that was really all about its reputation and not about its reality anymore. You see, the, the once great city of Sardis had begun to decay. It had begun to languish. It was no longer the, the center of culture and influence and wealth there in Asia Minor. It had, it had this great and glorious reputation, but its reality didn't match what was going on there on the ground. And you know something, friends? In Jesus' fifth letter to the church in Sardis, we find a church that mirrored the sorry situation of the city in which they lived. We find Jesus writing to a church that, just like its hometown, was once a glorious church, a vibrant church, a church that was alive with gospel ministry. But this church had begun to stagnate. It had begun to decline. Their light had grown dim. Jesus says that they are now dead. What a tragic situation that we see here in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Jesus begins his letter to the church in Sardis by once again reminding this church of who it was that was addressing them. Jesus begins in verse 1. He says, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well, what are these seven spirits of God? Friends, this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the one who has in perfection the Holy Spirit of God. The word, the seven spirits there, that term, seven in the book of Revelation is also often used as a symbolic number. Uh, a symbolic number that refers to, to perfection, to completion, to, to totality and fullness. And so the seven spirits of God there are not numerically seven spirits. This is an indication that we are talking about the perfect spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. There, there may also be an allusion here back to the prophetic passage in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, where in this messianic prophecy, it refers to the Messiah as the one who would have the Holy Spirit of God. In Isaiah 11, 1 through 2, we read, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, upon the Messiah, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Here we see in Isaiah the sevenfold spirit of God, which Jesus here in chapter 3 of Revelation says to Sardis, he is in possession of the perfect spirit of God. Friends, if you want access to the Holy Spirit, you got to go through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who is in possession of the Spirit, the Spirit's power, the Spirit's encouragement, the Spirit's vitality. It comes through Jesus Christ. And Jesus wants this church in Sardis to know that He is the one who has the seven spirits, the perfect Holy Spirit. He's also the one who holds the seven angels, the seven messengers, the seven pastors, as we've seen early in our series, of these churches in Asia Minor. Friends, what a great encouragement this is for us today. Jesus is in possession of the Spirit. He distributes the Spirit to His people while at the same time holding up His churches and protecting them. And so what we understand from this passage right away this morning is if we want the Holy Spirit's power in our life, 
If we want to experience the active presence and vibrancy and vitality of the Spirit at work in us, friends, the way you do that is you get close to Jesus. He is the one who holds the seven spirits, the Holy Spirit. He is the one who holds his churches in his hands. And friends, if you're not close to Jesus, you can't expect, expect to experience the Holy Spirit's vitality in your life. If you wander from the Lord, if you rebel against his will, if you begin to stray from Jesus, you're not going to experience the Spirit's vibrancy and power. You only have that when you get close to Jesus. And, and the church in Sardis needed to remember where their power had come from. Why were they in decline? It was because they had fallen away from Jesus. Jesus wanted them to remember that their power had come from walking closely with him. Friends, we, need, we too today need to remember where our power and blessing comes from. It comes from getting close to Jesus Christ. Jesus goes on in our passage at the end of verse 1. He says, I know your works. He says, I know your works. It's very interesting. Remember last week in Revelation chapter 2, verse 18, in Jesus' letter to the church in Thyatira, Jesus described himself as the one who has eyes like a flaming fire, his piercing gaze which, which sees all things. In fact, in other passages in the scriptures, Hebrews 4.13, for example, we find nothing in all of creation is hidden from the Lord's sight. And here in his letter to the church in Sardis, Jesus says, I know your works. He knows, friends, nothing is hidden from the Lord's sight. He knew what was going on in Sardis. And he knows what's going on today here at Lakes Free. He knows what's going on in our lives individually. Nothing remains hidden from the Lord's sight. He knows it all. You know, it's very interesting. I, I find many people today, you, you watch the news, you listen to things on social media, you talk to people in our culture today. Many people today are concerned about governments and private companies monitoring us and tracking us and, and following everything we do. And yet, while we're concerned about our governments and all of these private companies that track us and monitor us, very few people in our world give any consideration to the one who truly knows all of our works, the one who sees everything in creation, our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, we need to remember that Jesus is always watching. Jesus knows what's going on in our lives and in our hearts. Let me ask you this morning, what does the Lord see when he examines your life? You know, that's a question that should give each of us pause this morning. It should lead us to consider where our hearts are before the Lord today. Jesus knows our works. He goes on in his letter to the church in Sardis. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Jesus points out that here was a church that had a great reputation. The word reputation there in the Greek is onoma. It literally means name. This church had a good name. They had a good reputation. They, they were well known. I mean, they had earned this good name. They had earned this reputation. They had performed years of faithful service to the Lord. This was a once vibrant, healthy, vital church that earned its good name. But today, when Jesus writes to them, this was a church that was living off their past reputation. 
They, they were living off the notoriety of their past deeds. They were living off their name. But Jesus says to the church in Sardis, your name is mud. Your name is mud. Their reputation was worthless. Friends, have you ever heard that phrase before? Your name is mud. You know where that terminology comes from? It, it dates back to the mid-1800s when we first find it being used in, in literature in the 1800s. But it really became prominent in our culture in the year of 1865 when President Abraham Lincoln was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth. You see, John Wilkes Booth had a friend, a co-conspirator, a physician by the name of Dr. Samuel Mudd. Samuel Mudd was involved in the conspiracy with Booth to kill Abraham Lincoln. Here was this man, Dr. Samuel Mudd, who on the outside looked impressive. He had a great resume. He had a great reputation. He had a great pedigree. But in reality, he was a scoundrel. His reputation was worthless. His name was Mud. Jesus says to the church in Sardis, your name is Mud. Your reputation is worthless. Friends, this was a church that had a great name, an impressive resume. They had accomplished all of these great things for the Lord in the past. But that was all history now. That was behind them. Now their name was mud in God's eyes. Why? It's because they had become an irrelevant church. They had become a church without vitality, a church that was no longer on mission for Jesus Christ. You know, it's very interesting when you read Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, the fifth letter of Jesus to the church in Sardis. Friends, I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but this is the first church that Jesus writes to in Asia Minor that he doesn't mention any persecution going on where they live. He doesn't mention any threats against these Christians, any threat of oppression from the government or from the Jews or, or anyone else in their culture. This was a church not facing any persecution. And why is that? Friends, it's because the church in Sardis was a church that had thoroughly compromised with the world. They had fully accommodated themselves to the culture around them, and so they now looked no different from anyone else in their society. What a sad situation. You see, there was no need for the culture to oppress this church or persecute this church because this church had become irrelevant. They were doing nothing to shine boldly the light of the gospel in their communities. They were doing nothing to advance against the darkness. They had compromised. They had become stale and stagnant. Their light had gone dim. And therefore, they weren't experiencing any persecution. They had accommodated to the culture around them. Compromise is a tragic thing. You know, it's been a difficult season for us here at Lakes Free Church and the state of Minnesota with the stay-at-home orders and scaling back many of the ministries that ha typically happen here on a daily basis. In recent weeks, I've had a number of friends from our church ask if we too here at Lakes Free aren't compromising by not gathering together for corporate worship. Some have written lovingly just asking out of a, a biblical concern, are, are we being unfaithful and not gathering for worship? 
I've had others more critically accuse us as church leaders of compromising, outright compromising for not gathering as a church. Friends, I want to say this to you as lovingly and as clearly as I can. But we need to understand this morning that temporarily suspending our corporate worship gatherings out of love for our neighbors is not an example of compromise. Friends, please understand, this situation we're in today is not permanent. And secondly, we need to recognize that Lakes Free has never closed. Okay? Lakes Free is not a building, people. Lakes Free is the body of believers that makes up this church. You can close the doors to the building, but Lakes Free's ministry should never end. Because when we go out into our communities, we are all servants and ambassadors of Jesus Christ. See, friends, please understand this morning, a church is not vital and alive because it has 500 people gathered together for worship on a Sunday morning. A church is vital and alive when those 500 people are daily living for Jesus Christ out in our communities in our families, in our workplaces. And I'll tell you something again this morning, not being physically gathered for church is not our greatest risk today here at Lakes Free. That's not our greatest risk, church. Our greatest risk is losing our vitality as God's people. It's losing our desire to live faithfully for the Lord. It's losing our vitality in in all areas of our lives, losing our conviction over sin, losing our passion for reaching the lost in our community. When we lose those things, friends, this is when a church truly begins to die. Lakes Free, I want to tell you something this morning. We will be together again for worship and probably very soon. We're going to come back together for worship, friends. But if we lose our vitality in living for Christ out in our community, I will tell you something. What we do inside of this building will matter for nothing. This building doesn't matter. What matters is that we live faithfully on fire and on mission for the sake of the gospel. We can never forget that, friends. Jesus' warning here to the church in Sardis should lead all of us to examine our hearts before the Lord. It should lead us collectively as a church to examine our hearts before the Lord. And if we find that our reputation doesn't match our reality, then we need to seek the Lord's help. We need to turn back to Him. This leads me to point number two, observation number two from our passage this morning. In Jesus' letter to Sardis, we find a church in need of resuscitation. Jesus had told this church that they were dead. They were a dead church. They were in need of resuscitation. I once heard somebody say that the church is called to be a thermostat and not a thermometer. We're called to be a thermostat and not a thermometer. Friends, do you know the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer? It's a significant difference. You see, a thermostat reflects the temperature of the culture that it's in. 
A, therm a thermometer, I'm sorry, reflects the atmosphere of the culture it's in. A thermometer will be a reflection of the temperature of the culture it finds itself in. A thermostat, on the other hand, sets the temperature. A thermostat alters the environment. And friends, as a church, we are called not to be thermometers reflecting the culture around us, but thermostats that help drive the culture around us through our gospel influence in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, if we as a church find ourselves reflecting the temperature of the culture around us and not setting the temperature for the culture around us, it might mean that we're a church in need of resuscitation, like this church in Sardis. And so Jesus here gives the church in Sardis a five-step plan for resuscitation. Friends, we need to pay attention to this. If we ourselves individually find ourselves in need of resuscitation spiritually, or if we as a church discover that we are living on our past reputation and we're actually dying, we're a dead church, we've lost our vitality, we need to follow Jesus' steps for resuscitation. In verses 2 and 3, Jesus says, Wake up! A five-step process. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. Here Jesus gives us five simple steps in rapid-fire succession for resuscitating a dying life or a dying church. He says, number one, wake up. People, you got to wake up. Remain vigilant. Don't fall asleep on the job. This would have been an especially urgent appeal to the people in Sardis. You see, there had been two times in the city of Sardis' history when that great fortress city had fallen. And you know why that city had fallen? It's because the guards had fallen asleep on the job. They had felt secure and safe up in their hilltop fortress, surrounded by cliffs on three sides. But you know something? In 549 B.C., Cyrus the Great came along with his armies. And Cyrus the Great and some of his brave soldiers scaled the cliff sides of Sardis. And the guards who thought that they were in this impregnable fortress had fallen asleep on the job. And the soldiers that scaled the cliffs from behind were able to sneak into the city and destroy the city of Sardis because they had failed to remain vigilant. Jesus says here to the church in Sardis, wake up, be alert, remain vigilant. Your past victories are not going to help you today in your present battles. You need to remain alert, remain vigilant. He says, number two, to resuscitate a dying church, strengthen what remains. Strengthen what remains. And friends, I love this here because we see here Jesus again specializing in resurrection. He had told this church that they were dead. They were a dead church. And yet here Jesus gives them the opportunity to strengthen what remains because he's a God who specializes in resurrecting the dead. It was interesting this week as I was studying this passage, every time I came to this statement, strengthen what remains, my, my mind kept going back to that great TV show in the mid-1970s, The Six Million Dollar Man. You guys remember that show, Lee Majors? 
he was a, a NASA astronaut and he crashed and, and the scientific engineers, they, they recovered his body. And if you remember the introduction to the TV show, what do they say? Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. And they rebuilt Lee Majors. They turned him into the bionic man, this, this superhero, this super spy. I kept thinking about that all week long when Jesus says, strengthen what remains. Jesus says to this church, we can rebuild you. We have the technology. For Jesus, that was the power of the Holy Spirit that would once again come into this church and enliven them with a new vitality if they would simply turn themselves back to him. Thirdly, Jesus says to this church, remember, remember what you have received and heard. What is he talking about remembering here? He's talking about the gospel. They needed to remember the gospel, friends. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, that's the gospel in a nutshell, that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are deserving of death and eternal separation from God and terrible torment in hell. That's what we deserve for our rebellion. But God, in his great love for us, sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to rescue us. He went to the cross as a perfect sacrifice, a substitute for us, taking our sins and the penalty for our sins, the wages of our sins upon himself. He died the death that we deserve so that we could live eternally with him. That's the gospel, friends. It's good news. And you know, when you think about the gospel, this is the truth that saves us. It's the truth that transforms us. It's the truth that motivates us and gives us hope for the future. Friends, Jesus tells this church, remember the gospel, because for the church, it's all about the gospel. Everything we are is centered on the gospel. He goes on, number four, in his five-step plan for resuscitation, Jesus says, keep the gospel. Remember what you heard and received and keep it. Keep it. Friends, we have to constantly hold fast to the gospel. We can't let it go. We got to hold tightly to the gospel. You know something, friends? It's so easy to drift in this life. It's so easy to drift. And I'll tell you something, you will never drift anywhere good. You'll never drift anywhere helpful. Have you ever been on a boat in the middle of a lake and, and you shut the motor off and you just start drifting? Friends, do this sometime as an experiment. I promise you, you're not going to drift anywhere good. You're never going to drift to the local restaurant on the lake. You're going to, you're not going to drift over to the ice cream shop and the docks there. You're never going to drift into the marina. No, where are you going to drift to? You're going to drift into somebody's shoreline and get pounded up against the rocks. You're going to drift onto a sandbar. You never drift anywhere good. And the same thing is true for us spiritually. Jesus says, hold fast to the gospel. Don't drift. Remember the gospel. Keep the gospel. And then fifthly, Jesus tells us, if we find ourselves drifting from the Lord, if we find ourselves as a dying church or a spiritually dead individual, Jesus says, number five, repent, repent. Christians, I'm going to tell you something this morning. Repentance is not just a one-time act. 
when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and ask him to forgive us of our sins. Repentance should really be an ongoing discipline in the Christian's life. Repentance is something that we should do on a regular basis. Whenever we find ourselves walking away from the Lord or drifting from the Lord or intentionally rebelling against the Lord, we need to repent. And the word repent simply means to have a change of mind that results in a change of action. It's making a 180 degree turn back in pursuit of fidelity to Jesus Christ. We need to repent, friends. This is Jesus' five-step process for resuscitating a dying life or a dying church. And I want you to notice then Jesus' warning here to this church. If they fail to carry out these five steps, if they fail to repent and turn back to him, look at what Jesus says. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. What is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about bringing judgment against this church. Jesus says, I'll come like a thief. Friends, what do thieves do? Thieves steal. They steal. And what is Jesus going to steal? Jesus says he will come like a thief and he will steal away that church's lampstand. Remember back in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, Jesus warned the church in Ephesus, if they didn't repent, he would remove their lampstand. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He'll come like a thief in judgment, a thief who comes and steals their lampstand, the symbol of their blessing as a church. Jesus is just going to come. He's going to remove his hand of blessing from that church. See, we need to understand, friends, that God's judgment doesn't always come in the form of big, dramatic acts like sickness and disease and casting someone on their deathbed like we saw last week in Thyatira with Jezebel. Oftentimes, God's judgment comes in secret when we least expect it. Like a thief, he simply decides to remove his hand of blessing from our lives or our churches when we fail to remain faithful to him. You know, friends, the Lord's warning here should cause each of us to examine our hearts and ask the Lord if, if we've strayed. Have we settled for a, a past reputation of faithfulness? Are, are we pursuing Jesus and vital for Jesus in name and reputation only? Or does what's going on in our hearts match that name and reputation? We need to examine our hearts. And if we've strayed from the Lord, we need to repent. Otherwise, we're at risk of losing his blessing in our lives. That's a dangerous place to be. Thirdly, this morning in our passage, Jesus' letter to the church in Sardis, we find a church with models of regeneration. Models of regeneration. Jesus says in verse 4, Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Jesus lifts, lifts up these individuals, this, this faithful remnant there in Sardis. Models of regeneration. Friends, what is regeneration? Regeneration simply means to be born again. To be born again. In Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, we read about the process of being born again. 
When the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration. There's that word, regeneration, new life, new birth, and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Friends, that's the process of regeneration right there. That's what this faithful remnant in Sardis had experienced. The the result of our regeneration then, Titus tells us in chapter 2, verse 11 through 12, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldliness and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Friends, this is what regeneration does. It it cleanses us. It gives us new birth. It makes us new people. And it empowers us then to live faithfully for Jesus Christ. This is what this faithful remnant here in chapter 4 had experienced. People who had not soiled their garments. They had not dirtied or polluted themselves with compromise and accommodation. They were walking in white for they were worthy, Jesus says. They had experienced the true regeneration that happens in a believer's heart. And Jesus holds up these model saints in Sardis, these models of regeneration to inspire this spiritually dead and dying church to follow his plan for resuscitation. He wanted these Christians to know it wasn't too late if they would simply turn back to the Lord in faith. And friends, I'll tell you something. If you're watching this morning, it's not too late for you either. No one is too far gone for our Lord Jesus Christ and the life-giving power of his Holy Spirit that will come into your heart and do a work of regeneration if you'll simply repent from your sins and turn back to him in faith. He is a God who specializes in resuscitation and resurrection. No one is too far gone. No church is too far gone. But we need to repent and follow Jesus in faith. Jesus sends his letter this morning to the church in Sardis by highlighting the rewards he promises for those who overcome. And, you know, friends, I I love this. I was thinking about this this week, how each of these letters ends with promises of reward. What an amazing God we have. What, What an amazing Savior, a God of amazing grace. You know, Jesus doesn't owe us anything, but he promises us everything. When we follow him in faith, Christ promises rewards for those who overcome, for those who remain faithful, walking with him to the very end. He says here at the end of our passage in verses four through six, he says, number one, for those who overcome, they will be clothed in white garments. Friends, this is a, a symbol of their justification and regeneration in Jesus Christ. Clothed in white, free from the stain of sin for all eternity. He says, number two, that those who overcome would be named in the book of life. Jesus says, as a matter of fact, that I will never blot out your name from the book of life. You know, in the ancient world, each city had a citizenship registry. And when somebody in that city died, their name would be removed from the citizenship registry. They were no longer around. They were no longer a citizen. Their name was removed. Jesus says, for those who overcome, for those who persevere in faith to the end, 
Your name will never be blotted out of my book of life. You are an eternal citizen of heaven. What a great blessing and hope we have in Jesus. He says, thirdly, to the overcomers, to those who pursue fidelity with the Lord. He says, I will confess your name before my Father and the angels of heaven. Friends, think about this. This is incredible. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, 10 and 11 says that one day every knee in the world is going to bow before Jesus and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. And yet Jesus, the one who one day is going to be confessed as Lord by all, says that he is actually going to confess his faithful people those who overcome before the Father and all of his angels. I mean, what an incredible honor. I I want to be counted in that number to hear Jesus say, Father, this is Jason. He was faithful. He overcame. What an incredible honor and blessing that would be. You know, friends, I want to ask you this morning, how is Jesus going to find our church when he returns? How is he going to find us individually when he returns? Will he find people in a church full of life and vitality, serving faithfully, going out into our world on mission for the sake of the gospel, reaching the lost? Or will he find a church that has lost its light? That's no longer vital. A church living on their past reputation, but their reality simply doesn't match up. This message to the church in Sardis, friends, should be a strong word of encouragement to us to examine our hearts before the Lord. Let's never lose our vitality. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus and our hope firmly rooted in the glorious gospel we've been given. And let's pray that God would continue to encourage us and empower us through his Holy Spirit to be his church. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this powerful word you gave to your church in Sardis. And I thank you for all that we can learn from your instruction to these Christians 2,000 years ago. This is such a dangerous risk that we face as a church, losing our vitality, losing our light, losing our faithfulness to the mission you've given us. God, help us to stand firm in your truth. Help us to hold fast to the gospel. If necessary, Lord, help us repent of our sins and turn back to you. And may we experience your ongoing encouragement and empowerment that comes through the Holy Spirit that you promise to your people and your churches when we walk faithfully with you. God, we desire to be your church. Don't let us lose our light. Let us shine brightly in our community and in our world and make your name famous. Let us be your church, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, friends, I thank you for joining us this morning. If there's anything we can pray for you this week, I'd encourage you to go to our Lakes Free website, lakesfree.org, and click on the prayer tab. We would love to pray for you as a church staff this week. Now I want to leave you with this benediction from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. 
Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. May God bless you, church. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church. You can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free. And you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests. And we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage. And we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.